Welcome to the balance sheet where you can rise above the noise and learn about the most important business issues of our age. I'm your host and fellow student, Conrad Chua. Our previous episode looked at the role that startups could play in tackling climate change and sustainability. Now we're going to look at how global companies can play a part. Our guest today is Nira Jori. Nira has more than 20 years of experience leading transformational global strategies. More than 10 of those years was dedicated to furthering the value big food companies can generate through sustainability. She's developed and implemented enterprise-wide strategy and engaged stakeholders at all levels. She's worked with corporations, governments, and nonprofits from all over the world. She's now Chief Sustainability Officer at KFC. So welcome, Nira. Thanks, Conrad. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Nira, can you tell us what do you, you do as the Chief Sustainability Officer? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the the hardest part of that is no day is the same. <laughs> so uh, I think, you know, my role really is to lead and define the global sustainability strategy. And at its core, um, the way we operate, KFC is part of Yum Brands. Uh, Yum Brands is our parent company. And then we have three sister brands, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, and The Habit Burger. So we work in partnership with those sister brands. And then we're a heavily franchised business. Um, So we run um, upwards of 50,000 restaurants in the world as Yum Brands. And um, only about 500 of those are within our operational day-to-day control. So we really work through our business units and our global functions, as well as our franchisees to achieve the work. So it's really enabling them, supporting them strategically, and giving them guidance on best practices and know-how on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And thank you to our, our uh, online audience. Just wanted to give a shout out. I think Kim is one of your, was it also an MBA alum, and I think one of you in your class. Yeah. Hi, Kim. Nice to see you. Yeah. And just a reminder, you can put questions in for, for Nira in the chat or comments field. So, Nira, can you talk about how KFC, um, what is KFC's commitment to people, food, and planet? Yeah, thanks um, for that question. And I think, you know, when we thought about our strategy, the way you design any sustainable sustainability strategy is around what's material for your business, right? So what matters to your stakeholders, what matters from a financial and legal and other perspective, um, and which issues really rise to the top. And so we've categorized our work for KFC particularly and for young around people, food, and planet. When we talk about people, for us, that really means um, driving our equity, inclusion, and belonging agenda, uh, and then also looking at the role that we can play in our communities. And we think about that from a skills and opportunity perspective, but also from um, a food security perspective. How can we think about what we enable in our communities from those two points of view? When we talk about our food, we're really committed to chicken. Uh, We are a chicken company. We take our chicken very seriously. Uh, And that means that we think about the animal welfare of those chickens. We think about the climate and carbon impact of that chickens. And we also think about the human rights and the value chain um, in order to raise and manufacture chicken. And then lastly, um, we also think about our nutrition and transparency in the food pillar. And then on our planet side, this is really about um, the energy and resources used in our restaurants. And we also think about um, 
which is like a direct correlation to our climate and carbon impact. Uh, and then we also think about our packaging as well as um, it's linked to that chicken piece, the carbon impact of our chicken as well. Hmm. I mean, it sounds so complicated. I mean, it's like every <laughs> piece of your operation and even beyond that as well, right? Because you would be, uh, obviously the chickens uh, come from, well, are reared by suppliers, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think one thing I read once upon a time that sustainability people are the most networked people in an organization because we truly do work with every function in the business. So we partner very, very deeply with our supply chain and therefore our suppliers. Um, we, in some parts of the world, are helping our franchisees procure chicken and in other parts of the world, our franchisees do it. So it even adds to the complexity of how we operate, how we influence. Um, what it really means at the end of the day is deep, deep understanding of our supply chain and then um, really dynamic and two-way partnerships with our suppliers. We have to understand the challenges that they face um, in bringing poultry to our restaurants, but we also um, have to drive the agenda, give them guidance and focus on how to meet uh, our sustainability commitments that we've laid out. What are one or two um, sustainability initiatives that you're especially proud of? Yeah, I think some of the work that we do on our people agenda is pretty incredible. Um, and so we, a huge area of focus for us is thinking about the ways in which we impact the communities that we work in. And in many countries around the world, KFC is the largest uh, employer of youth in the country. Um, that's true, let's say, for example, in um, our SOPAC market, our South Pacific Australia market. Um, and so we have really been thoughtful about thinking about the opportunities and initiatives that we create uh, to engage youth, um, to give them skills and opportunities, whether that's meaning that they will stay at a KFC for the rest of their life or if they choose to go out and um, contribute differently in their country. Um, and then also to provide um, opportunities for other groups that we know are important. So for example, in India, um, we do a lot of work with women and bringing women into the workforce and in parts of the country where women may not be able to do that easily. So uh, we really think about the community that we're operating in and how to benefit um, the people within that. Hmm. And how do you measure the impact uh, of the, all these sustainability initiatives across food um, people, planet? Yeah, so measurement, I think, is any sustainability person's greatest challenge. Um, and it's primarily a challenge from a data perspective. So I think many global businesses are facing um, the, the challenges of dynamic data and how to have data that is um, enabling you to drive business decisions, to evolve your strategy, to um, say, okay, we have to accelerate on this piece and to slow down on this piece. And much of the data that we collect, again, would come from our suppliers or our franchisees. Uh, it's not our own data. And so we're reliant on others reporting into us. Um, and because of the nature of our business, we may not have centralized access to that data also, and it's also not digitally enabled. Um, so for us, we work um, with our partners at YAM through an annual survey process. Um, it's self-reporting. It comes in um, about once a year and there is also a lag to our data, right? So we're, we're relying on um, data that isn't in the moment and we have to make the best decisions that we can based on a historical view of what we understand. Um, 
all of the data is audited, all of the data is um, done with rigor, but we have to then uh, extrapolate from that what can we tell is truth and what can we say is directionally good enough to make decisions on. And then there will be some places where we say, you know, actually this data isn't strong enough for us to use. Uh, how do we strengthen this um, with our suppliers, with our franchisee partners? So um, it's a massive system. It's a massive effort that we go through every year to get to the data and the insights. Um, and then we also rely really heavily on our um, business units, right? They are closest to the numbers. They are closest to the insights. They will have deeper relationships with our suppliers and partners than we will. And so we also rely on the insights that they can gather um, directly in the region. Hmm. Obviously, it's so complicated, right? You've got uh, people, you know, all these three big buckets. How do you assess the performance of a region? You know, are, are you saying that every they have to hit certain minimum uh, objectives for all three, or are you happy to see them really excelling in one or the other? Yeah, I think for us it varies, right? So we have high-level goals um, that cascade from young. We have long-term, we have short-term and long-term commitments. We have commitments for 2025, for 2030, and then all the way out to 2050. And I think what is really important across sustainability for many people is progress, not perfection. Um, we're not trying to be a compliance function and say you haven't met this goal and you are therefore in the wrong. What we want to do is always create awareness and education. I think sustainability still in many parts of our business is a thing that people don't know intimately, right? They don't um, speak the language. They don't have the know-how or the skills, or often they don't have resources, right? They may be under-resourced to do the work. So we always begin with, um, good intent and, and trying to build awareness and understanding of what we're trying to achieve, what the objectives are at the highest level, what those goals and commitments are, and how we can work together to achieve them. And then the goals may vary region by region, right? So there are certain parts of the world where um, we have a cage-free egg goal, and there are certain parts of the world where that is the standard, and that is widely accepted, and most big food businesses have normed to that. And there will be other parts of the world where that isn't a demand from consumers. Um, it's not something compelling that they're looking for, and so they may be further behind on that. So we want to use the business units that are ahead or that have done this day in and day out to help support and show the path to those that might be um, not as far along on their journey. Uh, and each region is gonna have different areas that they need to focus and prioritize on. So we really go where the gravity is in the region rather than saying everybody must be universally at a certain level. Mm. Yeah, I think we can talk a bit about those regional variations and the kind of conversations that yeah. you have to have with different um, regions. But we have a question on LinkedIn. Someone asked, what are the challenges and opportunities you're facing regarding food waste and dinnerware, such as food packaging? Yeah. Um, so I would say for food waste, you know, it's it's definitely a prevalent challenge in our business. And um, we work in the quick service restaurant business. Uh, and we're pretty good at actually bringing our day-to-day -day food waste numbers down. We have a lot of systems that enable our um, chicken mostly across the world is hand breaded and fried. Um, moments before you eat it, right? So we have a lot of standards around how to keep that food safe. And for us, it's a cost imperative, right? We want to reduce the waste because that means good business, essentially. Uh, but what we are um, now really working on is when waste does occur, and I don't like to refer to it as waste, even when we say 
Um, food is outside of the standards of the best taste for our product, but still entirely safe from a human consumption perspective. How might we think about um, donating that food to our communities or getting it into the hands of those who may need it? Um, and so we are really actively trying to establish food donation programs across uh, many of our markets um, and making sure that that food that's still safe for human consumption can be consumed. Um, and then I think when we talk about dinnerware um, and food packaging, it's one of our most urgent and imminent challenges. We've got uh, very ambitious goals for 2025, and we, we have a lot of work to do. And so we're facing heavy, heavy regulation in many of our markets. Um, Western Europe in particular, uh, the U.S. is also under evolving packaging legislation, Canada as well. Um, and we see India as well. There's, you know, so it's pretty global in, in regards to where it's happening. And the ability to keep up with those regulatory changes is very, very challenging. Um, sometimes in countries where you have different states, it'll be state by state regulation. So you have to understand the nuances of what's happening in, um, you know, one province to the next or one state to the next. And then the other challenge that we face is while we're working towards making our materials recoverable or recyclable or reusable, uh, the infrastructure has also not necessarily kept pace with the way that corporations are responding. And so we can do everything in our power to make packaging recoverable, but if the municipality in which you live, if the place that you are um, doesn't have good recycling infrastructure or the recycling rates are low, or um, let's say it is actually picked up, but then isn't actually recycled, uh, it's defeating the purpose of, of what we're trying to do. So it means for us deepening our work with policymakers, with those um, building out the infrastructure. It's really system-wide change versus what one corporation can do alone. I think that's an important point that uh, when it comes to sustainability, it's not just one you as the one company. Right? Yeah. You, you exist in a, in a larger sort of ecosystem, which includes public services, includes your suppliers, and in your case, franchise, franchisees, right? Yeah, and I think there's a huge importance of collective action and pre-competitive uh, action, right? So um, we compete with many of the QSRs in the world, um, McDonald's. So you want QSRs? Uh, sorry, quick service restaurants. Quick service, okay. Yes, so fast food um, is a simple way, but it often means fast casual or um, that evolving space. But what we want to do in many of these forum, fora is to say, how do we work with our competitors and come together to make the best decisions for infrastructure, right? It's, it's very rare that someone will say, I will recycle my KFC packaging, but not my McDonald's packaging, right? If you're going to take the behavior, you're going to do it universally and the infrastructure has to be ready to support. So working with our competitors, working with our peers actually benefits um, many of those system changes that we're trying to affect. And I think it's good time to uh, go to Ashley's question, which is how does KFC or the Young Group ensure that your suppliers are following sustainable requirements? How do you ensure that oversight? Yeah. Um, so this is a space that we're really um, looking deeply at in 24 and 2024 and 2025. It's part of sort of our three-year strategy. And um, today, the way we do it is through many of the models that um, our friends in food safety or quality assurance have, 
have set up for us, right? So there are ways that we can ensure compliance around policies or commitments that we've set. Um, first is key, again, that education and awareness component, letting your suppliers know what your expectations are, setting up the systems to track and monitor and manage that. Um, and then we work with our suppliers on continuous improvement, right? So if we understand um, through a system or through compliance checks that they are not meeting our expectations, our goal is to help get them there, right? It's not to punish um, them, but really to make sure that they are in lockstep with our goals and, and helping to meet them. Um, a lot of that work is done manually right now. And so that's, again, another uh, plug for our desire to get this to more digitally enabled systems to be able to have a really holistic view of all of the actions a supplier is taking. Um, and over time, what we also are really working to do is embed this into the way that we commercially um, set up our relationships with our contract or our suppliers. So we want sustainability to be as much of a business requirement as the performance of an ingredient, uh, as the quality and safety of that ingredient, as the cost requirements of that ingredient, and the sustainability requirements of that ingredient. So it no longer becomes an add-on or a separate policy. When we purchase from a supplier, we want to say, this is our expectation of how you do business. And over time, um, to do business with KFC, you must be a supplier that acts in this way. We're not there yet, um, but there's some amazing models to follow. If you look at the work that companies like Sodexo, um, Sodexo is a big food company that supplies to places like hospitals or um, businesses. Um, they've set up some great parameters on how, who and how they won't work with suppliers in the future that don't have climate commitments. Um, companies like Novartis, a big pharmaceutical company, is now embedding this into contractual and legal language with their suppliers. So there's some pretty incredible models of folks that are um, showing how that commercial relationship uh, partners and intersects with the sustainability requirements as well. And Shiva has a question that kind of goes on from that because you mentioned how right now collecting data from suppliers is quite laborious, right? And Shiva yeah. says, um, it's an, it says it's an industry-wide problem. Do you think yeah. there'll be some strategic shifts in the next few years to address this, maybe through blockchain-based solutions, ERP solutions? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I just was on a call this morning where um, we talked about the data lives everywhere, right? And the data is pervasive. So we actually need pieces of financial data. We need pieces of operational data. We need pieces of supply chain or supplier data. Um, and some of our systems put that together. Yum and KFC in particular are complicated again because of that, um, the way we operate model, right? We may not have the data because our franchisees may own it and it's protected for them in many ways. Um, so we're trying to figure out how do we strengthen what we ask for and how do we bring it all together? And I think um, risk systems, financial systems, supply chain management systems that are integrating sustainability requirements into them uh, will be more and more instrumental. And we'll be looking to engineer the data then together in a way that gives a holistic sustainability picture. I also think I don't foresee one size fits all solutions. We're still going to need probably separate systems, separate data streams, separate data lakes of uh, where this data comes together. If anybody has a system solution that puts it all together, please call me. I'd love to know. <laughs> um, but I think it it just speaks to the nature of business. We're, we're always reliant on the others in our business. And so that 
cross-functional partnership um, is even more important uh, in big businesses. Mm. Nira, I, I'm assuming all that you've been saying so far is about the uh, like the animal welfare part of things. Yeah. Uh, but someone on LinkedIn is asking, how about climate data when making business decisions? Yeah. Does KFC or Yum Brands use that kind of climate data? And how is it used? Yeah, 100%. So um, for us, um, we absolutely do collect climate data. We uh, look from a scope one, a scope two, and a scope three perspective. So for those of you that are not familiar, how you do your climate accounting is broken up into really what is in your operational control. That's your scope one and two. Um, that includes how you manufacture, how you produce products for a food company, um, and then how um, you use your utilities or energy usage. Um, and then scope three is really your supply chain. Um, and what's interesting for Yum Brands is 99% of our carbon emissions come from scope three, from our supply chain. Um, so I think that speaks again to the, the, the I was going to say, the breadth of our challenge. Um, and that means gathering that data again from suppliers, from partners, from places that is it, it is in our own. So I talked a little bit about the YUM annual survey, that's the process in which we also collect our climate and carbon data um, from suppliers, from franchisee partners. And then we also collect it internally from stakeholders that might have um, utility or energy or production and consumption data. Um, we take all of that. YUM also has a science-based target. So we have now committed um, to goals for 2030 and to 2050 to reduce our climate impact. We have goals around um, our scope one and two, that smaller portion of what we will reduce, um, the goal is to reduce our scope one and two emissions 46% um, by 2030. And then we also have goals around our protein. So um, between um, the four companies, 76% of our emissions actually come from animal proteins, uh, beef, dairy, and chicken. So um, we have a lot of work to do in the protein supply chain. Um, our goal there is also to reduce those emissions by 46%. So every year we collect the data on how we're doing. Um, it's been much easier to collect data on the energy and utility side of what's happening in our restaurants. Um, we have reduced our emissions about 27% from our 2019 baseline. So that's pretty good progress. But again, it's a small portion of our emissions when you look at that um, energy and electricity usage or the manufacturing usage. Um, so we have a lot of work to do and um, to assess our progress really on the protein side. By protein, this protein supply chain, are you talking about the animal feed? Um, so for, yeah, so the majority of the emissions for protein. So when we say protein, we talk about um, the beef that might go in a taco or a burrito for Taco Bell, okay. or the burger at Habit Burger. Um, the chicken that is the delicious chicken on the bone or the chicken burger that you get at KFC um, or um, the cheese on a pizza that comes from a dairy cow uh, for Pizza Hut, right? So protein-based um, emissions show up for us basically in the majority of our food products, right? We really are protein companies at the end of the day when you think about what we buy a lot of. Um, so we rely then uh, on our suppliers to give us that data and most of uh, protein emissions come from feed. So we know on average about 78% of chicken emissions come from feed. 
um, and predominantly from soy. So soy has heavy emission impact because it's a heavily deforested commodity in many parts of the world. So when you're harvesting soy and you um, rate, when you bring down a field to plant the soy in the first instance, there's going to be a heavy release of emissions. So we have a lot of work to do ultimately with feed suppliers to work on our chicken emissions, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, that's fascinating. I guess when you, when you, 20 years ago when you started, you didn't think you'd be so heavily into the science of things, <laughs> of food production, would it? Yeah, I think this is like, um, I always say like, I, I'm a, I end up being a supply chain person for a large part of my day because of how in how much of sustainability lives in supply chain. Um, and I, I actually just, we did a really nice talk yesterday at one of our internal town halls, and we called it sustainability by the numbers, because this is all grounded not only in the science, but in the financials of the business, right? So um, it's so intimately linked to the things that we buy, how we build, um, how we go out as a brand, right? So all of those things uh, have a financial impact and a financial value as well. Mm. That's a great segue to um, Kim's question, which is basically, which is uh, saying, switching to sustainable packaging, for example, it's not cheap. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Especially if you're when you're beginning, there's a lot of fixed costs, etc. Yeah. Now, how do you strike that balance between the cost of going sustainable and the profit side? Yeah, and and I think this is where um, sustainability ends up being this function in a business that is like often misunderstood, right? Of like, there's an expectation that sustainability should be free. Um, and if I said, let's say, if we take a traditional marketing example, if I said to you, you have to launch a new product. You have no R&D budget to test it or try it. You can't talk to focus groups when you need to market it and you have no advertising budget to promote it. Would you be successful in selling that product? And the answer is no, right? So the same is true of sustainability, right? We, we are no different than any other function in the business. There has to be investment to get to return. And those returns um, are variable depending on what it is, right? So what we're trying to really bring our business to to say is, how can we think about what the payback is for a sustainability strategy or a sustainability initiative? How do we um, think about what the short-term returns are and the long-term returns are? And then how do we also, when we know the returns are longer on some of the most important and most impactful initiatives, how do we then think about blended payback models? How do we think about different financial structures uh, to enable that, right? And that is the same way that any other function in the business would go about uh, getting to yes on things that cost more or that have different cost um, cost parities than they did in the past. Um, and Kim, I think the packaging example is a great one. Uh, our team in India has just done this recently where they had to change the cost of the packaging to make it more recoverable. But at the same time, um, India has gone through a plastics ban. And so they're removing plastics in all restaurants. They had to change out um, plastic in what we call the back of house in the kitchens, the, the, bit, the bags that we put trash in or um, you know anything that occurs in the back of house that's going to the waste streams. And so they were able to get cost savings on those bags at the same time that they were changing out the packaging to be more sustainable. And so they blended the payback of that and were able to have the initiative be cost neutral. Um, so it's about thinking holistically about the business and not putting sustainability in isolation as an initiative that has to be done separately from other parts of the business. 
Mm. I mean, this is a that that's uh, an example I didn't know about. So thank you very much for telling me, uh, informing, uh, teaching us about that. But you know, as you say, that's kind of a it's it's almost like a perfect case, right? Where there's something that's sustainable and yeah. also saves money. Yeah. What about you know cases where sometimes sustainability, as you say, it's going to cost something, right? Yeah. How do you have those conversations when when you visit your um, when you when you make a trap when you travel and visit suppliers or regional offices? Yeah, and I think packaging is a good example of that, also, right? Of where where these solutions have cost more money. I think one thing that has happened. Packaging and sustainable packaging is a place where many, many industries have actually come together really beautifully around common goals. And so we see many of our packaging suppliers already innovating um, in these spaces. That doesn't mean that the solutions always become cost neutral, um, but it's our job to understand um, what they're doing. And then it's like any other product that we buy, right? We set cost expectations. We know that there might be times when we have to absorb the cost and there will be times that the supplier has to assume the cost as well. Um, so we work in partnership with that. What, what is exciting also is as demand for sustainable packaging grows, cost should ultimately go down, right? So there is, again, a long-term viability play here of saying, okay, this is what we're planning for today and this is what we're planning for tomorrow. And um, the financials will net out over time as this becomes more of the business expectation. And, and like I said in the beginning of that question, there are times when we make an investment and the return takes longer. And there are times when we make an investment and the return is shorter. It's no different than any other investment you make in a business. And is that the kind of discussion that happens at the board level, right? This uh, interplay between sustainability goals and financials and the long-term sustainability of the business? Yeah, and I think for, for us, it's not a trade-off, right? So Yum's strategy, our business strategy is, is good growth, right? And so it's embedded into how we operate um, and how we function as a business. And there's a real belief, right, our our good side com combines the people, food, and planet. And what we know is that when you take care of the, those pieces of your business, the returns for growth are higher, right? Those businesses that manage people, food, and planet well have higher returns. And, and in the graphic actually is an infinity loop because it's mutually reinforcing. The more you grow, the more you're able to give back to the good side as well, right? To people and planet. Um, so I think for us, we don't view them as... Um, competing, they they are mutually reinforcing and they're how we grow um, by doing good. Uh, and I think the board fundamentally believes in that. So our board at the young level manages this um, on a regular basis. Several of our committees, our audit committee, our development committee, our management committee are looking at ESG topics on a regular basis. We also provide weekly updates to the YUM board on ESG topics and trends of relevance for our business. Um, and then all of that cascades down to governance that occurs at the brand level. So at KFC, we have um, a steering committee made up of leaders from our um, leadership team uh, that report into the CEO. And then we also cascade that down to regional governance structures. So many of our regions will also have their leadership teams uh, involved in regional structures that manage the topics day to day. So for us, we're very, very intentional about the holistic view of this and how the pieces come together connected to business strategy. Mm. Um, 
Following on, we have a question from Sander who says, you know, obviously when you invest in all this in sustainability, there's going to be that cost, as you mentioned. Yeah. Are consumers willing to pay higher prices for that? Yeah. Um, I, I feel conflicted on this question anytime it gets asked because the reality is there's some great data coming out from um, or has come out multiple years in a row from um, NYU Stern Business School. And they do some research that says consumers are willing to pay and there is data that they are paying more for sustainable products. And I believe that's true in certain sectors and certain spaces. So, for example, um, for those of you that live in countries where cage free or organic eggs are available, or you may look at the price and say, yes, I believe in that is a promise I want to buy and you will do so. Um, I spent five years working in the cocoa sector and we would see that people would pay $8 for a fair trade um, sustainable chocolate bar, right? But um, those are trade-offs that people are willing to make in certain categories uh, and in certain levels of disposable income. What I find more challenging is that's that's much more harder to achieve uh, when you are selling a value-based product. So we, for sure, in um, fast food and quick service restaurants, are, are driving value, right? It's one of our key differentiators. Uh, and it becomes harder to pass those costs on to consumers because we don't really have the space to do that from a pricing or margin perspective. Um, so I think there's still a conflict of that, of passing on these costs to consumers and their ability to pay for it. The, the premise that I always want to support is how do we make this more commonplace, right? How do we make this the way, going back to those conversations of how do we make this a commercial expectation so that it becomes cost effective to do business this way? Um, and the other piece that I think we have to be realistic about is we're not paying the true cost of our food almost anywhere in the world, right? Food is one of the most heavily subsidized commodities anywhere in the world that you go. Every government is giving farmers money to grow the food. Um, we're not paying fair wages to most of the people in our value chains or supply chains. So we have a lot of work to do to convince consumers to pay the real cost of their food um, that isn't heavily subsidized for them to understand the differences of sustainable food systems or non-sustainable food systems, right? So there's a lot of work that we need to do in that regard. So Nira, you have huge experience in sustainability, right, as a function. Yeah. And I like, I like Ashley's question here, which is how do you have suggestions on driving sustainability in large corporations when you're in a non-sustainability focused role? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I think, um, we say this of, you know, everybody in an organization can play a role in sustainability. And I think it's very similar to how in a large corporation, we're all responsible for the financial health and well-being of our organizations, right? So if I, I don't work in finance, but I manage a budget. I have um, travel and expenses, right? Every day I'm thinking about how to be a good financial steward on behalf of my company. And I think um, it's the same way. And uh, Project Drawdown um, is a great resource. They've just recently published some guides that say, if you are in the HR function, here's how you can integrate sustainability in your role. If you're in operations, here's how you can integrate sustainability in your role. Um, and there's lots of connective tissue. So if you're in HR, right, 
they're our key partners on our people planet. They're the ones that lead our work on equity, inclusion, and belonging. They drive the work that we do with communities and with our philanthropies. So um, they're playing a role in sustainability, even though their job title is HR, right? That food pillar is heavily dependent mm. on our partners um, in supply chain who are sourcing our chickens, right? They need to know the requirements um, that we have for sustainability and how to meet our long-term commitments and drive that day in and day out with suppliers. So I would say there's not a function I can think of that isn't connected. Um, the connective tissue always exists in some way, shape or form. I would say think more broadly um, about organizations that are committed to sustainability, test and validate that as you're interviewing or looking at new jobs or new organizations. Um, you will hear it parroted back to you from the folks that you speak to if they know what they're talking about or if they're in a different function and they can tell you what their um, elevator pitch is or how their job connects to sustainability. So I would say test more against the overall organization's commitment and progress on sustainability. Um, in the best organizations that are progressive, it will show up across many, many different functions. Mm. And Niri, you obviously have so much experience uh, in sustainability. Uh, what, is the, what advice would you give to business school graduates who are considering pursuing a career in sustainability? Yeah, um, I, I feel so happy for those students today um, because it's a really different landscape. I was in business school um, probably exactly 10 years ago um, to today. And I think... Um, I always laugh, Kim might be able to tell you, but like when I would tell people 10 years ago that I wanted to work in sustainability and business school, they would say, oh, um, you're the do-gooder who doesn't want to make money, right? And there was a real disconnect between sustainability and business school students. Um, and that's just not true today, right? Conrad, I think you can probably talk about even the evolution that Judge has gone through. The fact that I'm on a, you know, a live stream with you having this topic, I think is very, very different than we were 10 years ago. And the job market for sustainability roles is massively different. Um, the demand is so high and abundant. Uh, it's a really, really good space to be in. But what I will say is, I think something that I've said repeatedly on this call is, if you're interested in sustainability as a business school student, you have to still anchor back in the business. You have to speak the language of the business. You have to be strong in finance and economics. You have to understand um, all of the pieces that come together to drive the bottom line, right? That That's really what this is about for a corporation. Uh, we are also now equally making the case that it's not just about the bottom line. There are additional impacts that we have to consider and manage. And in many organizations, that case has been made and they are doing that. Um, but you'll never get anywhere if you only speak in sustainability speak. Um, we are often guilty of being too technical and too jargony in our own language. Um, and you'll need to be able to connect with those business stakeholders to drive the sustainability agenda in the business. So I would say um, that's really, really key. And then we talk about skill sets. Um, one of the things Conrad and I were talking about is, you know, a large part of my job is influencing where I have very little authority, right? I'm not um, overseeing many of these teams that I need to uh, be my key partners. And so um, deep stakeholder engagement, learning how to make your case um, when somebody doesn't report to you or when um, you may not even be in governance structures together. How do you get your point across and how do you get somebody to say yes um, are all really key parts of getting these jobs and being successful in them. Wonderful. 
Um, we have a couple more questions, so we're going to try to rush through a few. Yeah. Debalsis asks, you know, how do you, how does you, you or KFC engage government and regulatory bodies to ensure maximum benefit? Um, I, th- I would say maximum climate or sustainability benefit. Yeah. Um, so we, we do it through different levels. We, we are a lighter touch organization on government and regulatory affairs. We really rely on our partners at a local business uh, unit level or often our franchisees to do this work. Um, it is really challenging because of, I think I mentioned, right, the, the rate at which regulation is changing and emerging um, is really, really challenging. And so I'll just give you the example for our team um, in Europe. We are, we are seeking external help to navigate some of these regulatory challenges to really give us a good read on all of the expectations of our business. They partner and work closely with our legal teams, but then also with our supply chain teams or with our operations teams that would be responsible for implementing the legislation. Our goal is to get ahead of the legislation to know what we should be expecting um, and then to be able to be responsive uh, to that. And then we also belong to a number of different trade associations or trade groups um, that bring industry members together around common challenges. And so we have groups um, that we participate on from a poultry perspective. We have groups that we participate on from a packaging perspective. So many of those groups will also be anticipating the regulatory environment and helping and guiding us uh, on how best to respond and react to that. Manish asks, um, are you planning to transition to plant-based solutions? Yeah, I think this is um, an important question for, for protein companies. And I think, you know, we we absolutely are looking at plant-based solutions. It's a large part of our um, carbon reduction strategy in our European markets. There are many parts of the world, however, where plant-based products aren't as in high demand and um, don't have as... Um, heavy a role on our menu. What we're trying to work towards is what we call uh, permissible options. And also we're looking at how to bring um, different uh, food choices to our consumers when they come to a KFC. So um, we're, we're always going to be a chicken company. That is our pride and joy and what people come to us for and what we're known for. Uh, but we are looking at how to create space for those consumers that are looking for different options when they walk in the door or come with a friend who loves KFC. Mm. And we, I think we can end with uh, Jose's question. What are you most excited by in terms of the future for KFC's sustainability journey? Yeah, um, I guess this is probably nerdy, but like we've talked a little bit about it. I'm super excited about our partnership potential with our suppliers. Um, I'm just... Uh, I believe in that African proverb of like, if you want to go further, you have to go together. And sometimes that takes more time. It means um, being patient to get to those long-term impacts, but the deep partnership work that we're going to do with our most important suppliers, I think is really, really exciting. Um, And I I can't wait for the day um, when our data is dynamic and really helps us um, drive our business decisions. Um, It feels like we're we're on the back foot of that many days and we're trying really hard to get better. Um, But there's a lot of excitement and energy in our business to get there, not only on the sales and marketing side, but also from a supply chain data side. So um, that that strength of data in the business will also be a really big unlock for us. So um, I'm really excited about those pieces. It's maybe a non-traditional answer, but I think those uh, pieces will really be some important unlocks for us. 
Well, thank you so much, Niran. That was wonderful in insight into how a large global company like KFC with such complicated and complex operations uh, can meet sustainability uh, goals and roll out initiatives. And I think it's quite clear that for people who want to go into sustainability, uh, you have to know the business fundamentals, but it's also the responsibility of everyone in a business to understand sustainability. So thank you so much, Nira, and thank you so much to our viewers. The balance sheet continues our examination of sustainability next week when uh, we'll have Professor David Reiner uh, at CJBS and people from McKinsey who will talk about how Europe can make an orderly transition to its clean energy goals. You can join us on Friday, 17th November at our usual time of 12.45 p.m. UK time. Till then, uh, stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time.